Hello and welcome. This is 21. Episode 4.1 Bridging the Edge of the World Before we get started with this week's episode, I have one more little housekeeping announcement I forgot last week. Whatever platform you listen to this podcast on, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, or wherever, please do me a favor and leave a review of the podcast on whatever streaming platform you use. This way, other people can find the podcast more easily, and we can continue to grow this podcast. All right, now that's taken care of. On to the fourth wonder on the list. So far, we have looked at the first three wonders of the ancient world, the Temple Complex of Abu Simbel in Egypt, the Ishtar Gate of Babylon, and the Colossus of Rhodes. While these three wonders were built in the heart of the known world, we will be heading to the fringes of the known world for our fourth wonder. To me, this is one of the coolest things about the wonders of the ancient world. They were not confined to the quote-unquote known world, which consisted of the Middle East, North Africa, and Southern Europe. Places like India, China, Northern Europe, and Southern Africa were viewed as strange and distant lands where savages and barbarians roamed, and the Americas weren't even known to the peoples of the quote-unquote known world. But I digress. It is on the border of the known and unknown worlds where we find the fourth wonder on our list. And, fittingly enough, it was built by one of the few ancient peoples to venture into the unknown, arguably the greatest civilization and some of the greatest builders to ever exist, Rome. And the most perfect example of this combination is the fourth wonder of the ancient world, Trajan's Bridge. Trajan's Bridge is certainly not the most popular Roman building. When you ask people about ancient Rome, most people will mention buildings like the Colosseum, which we'll get to later on this show, or the Circus Maximus, Hadrian's Wall, the Columns, or even the Forums. And while all of these are impressive, it is perhaps Trajan's Bridge which is the grandest of them all. But why is Trajan's Bridge almost unknown to history? The reason is perhaps twofold. First, it was built for a military campaign, and second, it was not standing for very long. However, upon its completion, it was the biggest bridge in the world. No other bridge even came close to it. Trajan's Bridge was one of a few, if not the only bridge, ever constructed over a major river before steel was invented. But before we get too far ahead, we first have to look at why this wonder was built. And for that, we have to jump headlong into the Roman Empire. The history of the Roman Empire and the reign of Trajan is way too complex to get into here on 21. If Roman history is your thing, I highly recommend you listen to the podcast The History of Rome by Mike Duncan. It is an excellent telling of the history of Rome, and he goes into significantly more detail than we will hear. 
But we will cover the important information to Trajan's Bridge so we have some context. This is going to be an incredibly quick run-through of more than a century of Roman history, so please just bear with us. Rome had just gone through some dramatic changes in the past decades and centuries. First, Julius Caesar came along and changed the Roman Republic into an empire. He was then assassinated and his grandson Octavian and his chief general and friend Mark Antony took halves of the empire. But this power compromise did not last very long, and eventually Octavian defeated Mark Antony and took control of the entire Roman Empire. He renamed himself Augustus and was the great first emperor of Rome. He set the bar incredibly high for the future emperors of Rome. However, the emperors directly following Augustus were some of the worst in Rome's history. Nero, Caligula, and Tiberius were disastrous leaders and set the Roman Empire down a path of self-destruction and eventual extinction. Rome was heading that way until a new string of emperors came to power. Known as the Five Good Emperors, these men righted the ship and brought Rome back to a place of prosperity, power, and prestige. It is in this list of the Five Good Emperors where we find Trajan. In fact, Trajan is often viewed by some experts as one of the greatest Roman emperors ever. Trajan was different from all the emperors who had come before him. The biggest difference was he was not an Italian Roman, he was Spanish. But this did not stop or even slow down his rise to stardom. Trajan was appointed as the head of a Roman legion while he was still a young man, and it was in this position that he caught the eye of the current emperor, Domitian. However, Domitian was assassinated and the elderly Nerva was placed on the Roman throne. Nerva adopted the young upstart to be his successor, and Trajan did not have to wait long for his time in the purple. Barely a few months after his adoption by Nerva, Nerva died, and young Trajan was crowned the Emperor of Rome. Trajan was an ambitious emperor. He desired to expand Roman borders and to further advance the cities of Rome with extensive building projects. It is at this crossroads where we find Trajan's Bridge. But before we get to the bridge itself, we have to set the stage. We will jump into the story around 80 AD. I have some maps up on the website 21 Wonders Podcast for reference as I know that this is an area of the world that is not as well-known as others. A kingdom in modern-day Romania was causing all sorts of trouble for Rome since the Emperor Domitian. This foe was the kingdom of Dacia, led by their king, Decebalus. Decebalus had long been in conflict with Rome before Trajan came to power. He was one of the few leaders who was actually militarily successful against the Romans at the height of their military power. Decebalus had sent some troops across the Danube in an attempt to secure more territory for his budding kingdom. In an outcome almost unbeknownst to the Romans at the time, 
Decebalus and his barbarian army trashed the Roman armies that they fought against, secured territories, and eventually set the terms for an uneasy peace between the two empires. Rome was eager to make peace with Dacia, for there were uprisings and invasions happening all around the fringes of the Roman Empire. Domitian even went as far as to pay the Dacians large sums of cash and leave the Roman war equipment behind for the Dacians to take in order to secure the peace. This was a huge win for Dacia and Decebalus. With new territory, money, and weapons, other smaller kingdoms and tribes around the Danube pledged allegiance to Decebalus, making Dacia even stronger. The uneasy peace between Dacia and Rome lasted for about 20 years. In the year 101 AD, Decebalus broke the treaty and sent his army across the Danube and once again into Roman territory. By this point, Trajan was the emperor. Decebalus' initial thrust was very successful, almost as if his aggression caught the Romans off guard. The Dacians were able to take several heavily fortified bases along the border, including a Roman garrison whose commander was a close personal friend of Trajan. Decebalus wanted to use this man life as a bargaining chip to make peace with Rome and secure his new acquisitions. Trajan, however, was not interested in negotiating. His friend, the captured garrison commander, made his choice easier by committing suicide rather than letting the Dacians dangle him in front of the emperor. Trajan decided to counter this move with an invasion of Dacia. He mustered a huge army from all over the empire to invade Dacia and hopefully take the capital, Sarmisagusa. Archers from Syria, slingers from Crete, and Numidian cavalry were just a few pieces of the quote-unquote Roman army. After about a year of skirmishes, the two armies met in a massive battle, which saw the Romans as victors, but the Dacians inflicted heavy casualties on the Romans. Trajan realized that his dream to conquer Dacia would need a rethink, so he and Decebalus agreed to another uneasy peace. With another peace agreement halting the conflict, Trajan knew he had an opportunity to turn the tide in his favor, but that this window of opportunity would be small and anything he was going to do to assist in his future conquests of Dacia would have to be extraordinary. And boy, was it. To gain the upper hand and hopefully pacify the Dacians once and for all, Trajan ordered the construction of one of the greatest bridges of all time. The bridge would be so impressive that, when it was completed, it would be the greatest bridge ever constructed for hundreds of years. For the construction of the bridge, Trajan turned to one of his chief lieutenants, Apollodorus of Damascus, who would become one of the most famous engineers in the ancient world. And his design, which would become known as Trajan's Bridge, had to have blown the emperor away. Unlike the majority of bridges built in wartime, or even in the ancient world for that matter, this was not a temporary structure. It was permanent, a sign of the power and ambition of the Roman Empire. The first problem in building this bridge 
was to find a section of the Danube River that remained roughly the same height for most of the year. This was an important fact, for finding a stable spot in the river meant that the bridge itself would be more stable and easier to build. And the Danube is not known for being easygoing or remaining the same height. After surveying the river, he found a spot that would suffice. He began the construction of the bridge at a place called the Iron Gates, or Turnu Serverin, in modern-day Romania. The bridge would connect what is modern-day Serbia to Romania. With his spot in the Danube found, construction of the bridge began at the end of 102 AD. Apollodorus's design was of a wooden superstructure bridge resting on massive stone pillars set in the riverbed. The bank at the section of the river where Trajan's bridge was built had more than enough stone to create the supporting pillars. But there was an initial problem that the Romans had to overcome. Getting the building materials into the river itself and keeping it in place while they built it. While the spot in the river they had chosen was relatively calm, you can never underestimate the Danube. The Danube River constantly roars and changes, so building the pillars must have seemed like an impossible task. But that was what the Romans specialized in. Now in ancient bridge building, you would not just build a bridge over a wide, fast section of river. That was unheard of. So the idea that Apollodorus wanted to build the bridge at the spot he chose was very different from anything in the known world. To build such a bridge in ancient times, normally you would use a pontoon boat to float the stone or wood to the other side of the river, where the builders could begin construction. Then work would begin on both banks, and it would meet in the middle. This tactic would not work here on the banks of the Danube, though. No one had ever attempted to build a bridge across one of the world's major rivers before. Not the Nile, not the Tigris, not the Euphrates. These waterways were seen as too vast and strong to bridge. And pontoon boats were very hard to control in vast, quick rivers. So we are not exactly sure as to how Apollodorus and his men got the stone out into the middle of the river. It's possible that they built long piers on both sides of the river and then anchored pontoon boats to these piers. Another possibility is that they actually had ships on the river and that they used ships to control the pontoon boats. Either way, getting the stone into the middle of the Danube and constructing the foundation of Trajan's Bridge must have been incredibly challenging and dangerous. To ensure the stone bases would be secure in the Danube riverbed, the Romans used a tool called a cofferdam to penetrate the riverbed. Cofferdams were watertight boxes that came to a point on the bottom and were driven into the riverbed using a simple pulley and gravity. The cofferdams were filled with stone, sealed, and then hauled up above the river by a team of slaves. Then, using gravity, they would let go of the rope, allowing it to drop almost straight down into the riverbed before the current could move it. 
Then they would pull the coffer dam up and use it as a model for the base of the bridges. Once the coffer dams were out of the water, they would be opened, emptied, and the builders would use the inside walls as the model for the base of the pillars. The builders cut stone to use on the outside of the bases and then filled them with smaller uncut stones to keep them in place. Roman concrete was then poured on top of the entire structure to create an incredibly heavy but strong base that would not be moved by the fast currents of the Danube. The size of these bases was astronomical. The completed bases were 60 feet wide and 150 feet high. The Romans made 20 of these bases for Trajan's Bridge and placed each one about 170 feet apart in the river. That would make the width of the Danube where Trajan's Bridge crossed it almost 3,500 feet wide. No one had ever attempted to build a bridge anywhere close to this magnitude before and it would be more than a thousand years before someone else even tried. While the stone bases were being constructed, other men were busy constructing the large wooden arches to stretch between the bases. Each of these arches stretched between each base at 170 feet long. These arches supported the wooden walkway of the bridge. These arches were hoisted into position by a simple crane and a team of slaves. With the bases and the arches in place, the walkway was built on top of it. The completed bridge was 1135 meters long, 12 meters wide, and about 50 meters high. That is 3725 feet long, 40 feet wide, and 160 feet high. For perspective, that's almost as long as the George Washington Bridge in New York City. And that bridge was constructed almost 2,000 years after Trajan's Bridge. Even with all the respect that historians give to Romans and their architecture, Trajan's Bridge is on another level. Upon the completion of the bridge, the emperor made a dedication plaque for the bridge. Dedication plaques, as we have noted on this show, were fairly common in the ancient world. We have the plaque today, and I will read it in its entirety. The plaque reads, quote, Emperor Caesar, son of the divine Nerva, Nerva Trajan, the Augustus Germanicus Pontifex Maximus, invested for the fourth time as tribune, father of the fatherland, consul for the third time, Excavating mountain rocks and using wooden beams has made this road, end quote. The plaque is a pretty cool piece of history that we still have today. As with the Ishtar Gate, the dedication plaques make these wonders more personal. These leaders, Trajan and Nebuchadnezzar, were invested in these wonders. They mattered to them. Now, that doesn't mean that if there was no dedication plaque, that it wasn't important to those who built it. These plaques just offer us a little extra insight into the minds of the men who ordered their construction, and helps us understand them and their time that much better. But Trajan wasn't the only one who wrote glowingly of his bridge. Cassius Dio, the ancient Roman historian, 
describes Trajan's bridge in his books on the history of Rome. Despite the fact that he lived and wrote about a hundred years after Trajan, his description of the bridge is so perfect I have to include it here. It's not that long, so I will read it also in its entirety. I hope that you glean from Cassius Dio's description and the dimensions of the bridge, the sheer magnitude and grandeur of the bridge, and why it fully deserves its place amongst the other wonders of the ancient world. Quote, Now Trajan constructed over the Ister, the Danube, a stone bridge, for which I cannot sufficiently admire him. His other works are most brilliant, but this surpasses them. There are twenty square pieces of stone, the height of which is 150 feet above the foundations, and the breadth 60, and these, standing at a distance of 170 feet from one another, are connected by arches. How, then, could one fail to be astonished at the expenditure made upon them, or the manner in which each of them was placed in a river so deep, in water so full of eddies, on ground so slimy. It was impossible, you note, to divert the course of the river in any direction. I have spoken of the breadth of the river, but the stream is not so uniformly so limited, since it covers in some places twice and elsewhere thrice as much ground. But at the narrowest point, and the one in the region most adapted to bridge building, has just those dimensions. Yet the very fact that the river here shrinks from a great flood to such a narrow channel and is here confined, though it again expands into a greater flood, makes it all the more violent and deep, and this feature must be considered in estimating the difficulty of preparing a bridge. This achievement, then, shows the greatness of Trajan's designs, though the bridge is of no particular use to us." End quote. Cassius Dio continues on about the destruction of this great bridge, but we will get into that next week. I have pictures of models of what the completed bridge might have looked like up on the website 21wonderspodcast.com. I can only imagine what was going through the heads of the Dacian soldiers when they saw the completed bridge. Here they were, used to having control of the Danube River as a border and a barrier against the Romans for as long as they had lived on its banks to the north and the east. It had usually slowed, if not stopped, any enemies that had tried to cross it and conquer them. It was wide, fast, and mighty. And now, it was as if it didn't exist. Now, Trajan and the Romans could cross the mighty river whenever they wanted, with as many men, equipment, and supplies as would be needed for conquest and there was nothing anyone was going to do to stop them. Or so it would seem at the completion of Trajan's Bridge. Next week, we will take a look at Trajan's military campaign into Dacia using his magnificent bridge. His successes, however, would be short-lived, and the emperors following Trajan did not see the bridge as a magnificent piece of architecture that portrayed Roman power and ambition but as an open door into the backside of the empire. And, much to the chagrin of historians and myself, it was a back door that would not be open very long. Oh, 
见。